Queer Relation Tips, an IM clinic podcast devoted to helping you, the LGBTQ plus community, create the love lives and relationships you crave. And so it comes down to sex isn't working. They, the, the crisis is there's a function problem, right? And, and okay, th- there may be, but probably not. Or not, the function isn't defined as you're thinking of defining it right now. You know, the reason you're not having sex has nothing to do with the reason that you're not, can't get an erection. The reason you're not having sex is because you don't know how to have sex. And you're relying on a, a, a body part that's working perfectly, like a 25-year-old penis is going to be working. And so for your listeners who may be 45 or 55, you know, their knees aren't the same, their eyes aren't the same, their teeth aren't the same, their penis is not going to be the same. And so they, they, they stop having sex because you can only have sex with a boner. Clearly, everyone knows that. Hello, and welcome to Queer Relationships, an I Am Clinic podcast devoted to helping you, the LGBTQ plus community, create the love, lives, and relationships you crave. If you're a regular listener, you're probably wondering what has happened to Isaac's voice and is he okay? Isaac's fine, but I wanted to take a second to introduce myself. I'm Clay Malcolmson, and I'm helping host this week's podcast. I'm the newest clinical associate at I Am Clinic, a psychotherapy practice located in Denver, Colorado. Thanks for listening in today. I'm so excited to not only help out here, but also introduce this remarkable and somewhat colorful at times two-part series with our guest, Paul Nelson. Paul has been in education for over 20 years. He moved into sex education when, as a prostate cancer survivor, he discovered there was almost no information for men that wasn't a commercial. He's been featured on ABC News, the BBC, NPR, USA Today, and the New York Times. He's also a regular speaker at men's groups and conferences across the country. And as if that weren't enough, Paul is also a peer review panelist on the cancer research for the Department of Defense. In this episode, Isaac and I sit with Paul and explore some common misconceptions about what sex actually is and dive a little deeper into what sex actually is and isn't. If you ever wonder about whether or not you objectify your own sexual experiences or relationships as a result of societal and cultural pressures or influences, and how the autonomic nervous system contributes to orgasms, well, this episode is for you. But if you don't, that's also okay. We cover so much more. Everything from how to best connect with your and your partner's needs and wants by using an emotional compass to seeing sex as something more significant than just something involving genitals. Without further ado, let's take a listen. Paul, do you want to give us maybe some examples of the fallacies that men or women come into your office to talk about? Um, okay, well, the idea, the, the problem is people often, if they have a, some sort of sexual function issue, they stop having sex. Because if I can't get a boner, we can't have sex, right? Or um, if I have low libido, I'm not horny, so we don't have sex. And so the, mis- the problem with that belief is we've never owned our sex life. Um, we've always relied on external forces to have our sex life. Uh, both the I- spontaneous sex is the best. Everyone believes that, even though it's a t- it doesn't work. It doesn't happen. Um, 
paying the bills, the garbage, mowing the lawn, walking the dog takes precedence over your sex life. And if any, whatever time is left, then you have sex. If you're horny, right? But men have been trained that you are horny, you get your rocks off, either by jacking off or sex. Instead of saying, no, I need to have sex, I need to connect with this person, I'm going to intentionally engage with them erotically, even if I may not be horny, right? And so we believe this idea that horniness must be present in order to have sex. And the fact is, no, you don't need to be horny to have sex. In fact, some of the better sex is more mindful and more intentional if you're not driven by hormones and the need to get off. And so you got me going, Siri. And then the next time, right behind that is the idea that we confuse horniness with anxiety. Guys think they're horny and mostly they're anxious. And so the guys who are jacking off twice a day are really probably, it's an untreated anxiety disorder. They're really not. And men rely on something external to arouse them instead of learning to find arousal inside them. And Because, I mean, it's like the psychological effects of kind of looking at sex through that lens are, I mean, so many repercussions. Um, right. Right. And so it comes down to sex isn't working. They, the, the crisis is there's a function problem. Right. And, and okay, th there may be, but probably not. Or not the function isn't defined as you're thinking of defining it right now. Right, you know, the reason you're not having sex has nothing to do with the reason that you're not can't get an erection. The reason you're not having sex is because you don't know how to have sex. And you're relying on a, a, a body part that's working perfectly, like a 25-year-old penis is going to be working. And so for your listeners who may be 45 or 55, you know, their knees aren't the same, their eyes aren't the same, their teeth aren't the same, their penis is not going to be the same. And so they, they, they stop having sex because you can only have sex with a boner. Clearly, everyone knows that. <laughs> well, and I think that goes back to what you were talking about with like, kind of what, we're, what we learn about. Right, right. It's we, because we learned it all from teenage boys in porn. Yeah. And, and the gay world is even more cruel, I think. One of the things that I see is like uh, an objectification of their own sex. Almost like sex is a tool or sex is a, a vehicle for achieving validation. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, yeah. and so I, I, I use the word, I, people think sex is an activity. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that we've objectified sex is this thing over here. And not sex is the experience of living in my body, of being present in my body is sex. Mm -hmm. Right. I tell people a good handshake is sexual. Mm -hmm. And that experience of feeling that energy and feeling that skin and feeling the warmth of the hand and going, wow, and there's this emotional connection behind it. That's great sex. That's mm -hmm. carefully codified sex between people in our society. Mm -hmm. It's almost, I, I like thinking about this often. I think about this stuff all day long, every day. But that sex is more akin to, like it's almost synonymous with passion rather than this thing with our gonads. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, sex is just, it's, it's the energy of living in your body is passion. Yeah, yes, you're in, yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and therefore, sex should be, and just like passion, if you have a passion for any activity, it becomes play, right? 
you have a passion for building things or making things or art or whatever, you know, it's just fun to do it. Mm -hmm. And if sex can be about passion, it becomes just fun to do. Right. Yeah. And, you know, and the, the, that's a, it, as a former opera singer, it'd be like singing the same aria every time. Right. I don't, I mean, I could. <laughs> Yeah, then I like the passion is just okay. Let's sing this one. I love it all, you know. But that's which is another trigger thing in our culture. We often people, I can't stand it. With every aspect of our lives, we have favorite things that we like. What's your favorite color? Your favorite outfit? Your favorite food? Your favorite car? Your favorite like a little kid? No, all colors are good. All foods are good. All everything is good. In the right, my favorite color for trees is green, right? <laughs> you know, it's, and green isn't my favorite color, but that's my favorite color for grass and for trees with some red thrown in occasionally. I mean, you know, so this, we, and we approach sex with that same very arrested development mindset. This is what I'm into. I feel like if you live by those standards, then like there's bound to be some disappointment in yourself if you're not able to live up to it. Um, like that is just like a self-feeding perpetual cycle there of like you feel bad and then you don't want to engage and then you feel even worse and it keeps you further and further away from by that healthy yeah. dynamic. All right. So in, in the hookup world, if we do the, the hookup world, when guys say, what are you into? I'd say, tell people, I said, you know, let's come up with a healthier response than, oh, I'm a top, or I like to suck, or fraud, or whatever. What a stupid question. First of all, you probably don't really want to have sex with someone who says, what are you into? But it's sort of like, how do you answer a question when someone says, what are you into? I'm like, I tell people, wouldn't you rather say, I'm into passion, I'm into being creative, I'm into being playful, I'm into connecting, I'm into laughing, I'm into talking, I'm into, you know, but then they'll probably swipe left. But that's good, you want to do that. You don't want to have sex with people who ask you, what are you into? Those people are pulling you back into adolescence. What do you... Sorry, I become an evangelical preacher, don't I? I'm sorry. <laughs> I think that a lot of people listening will say something like, my sexuality has been repressed for so long because I lived in the closet for so long and now I get to do whatever I want. And if that's hooking up, who's going to tell me that that's wrong? And hooking up's great, yeah. <clears throat> Just make sure it's fun, good hooking up. Mm -hmm. Yes. And that's kind of what I mean when I say we objectify sex our own sex because it's almost like um it can be in many instances of a, a, a compass this the passion the sexual intimacy piece not just the the act itself but what it's telling us about who we are about our relationships is kind of a powerful mechanism the emotional intimacy that drives us towards that sexual intimacy is a powerful mechanism. And when we only see sex as that activity, mm -hmm. we're missing out on a really big, big experience about love and self-understanding. Uh -huh. I've quoted you already, by the way, Isaac, 
<laughs> the quote he's referring to may be something you've heard before, especially if you've listened to another episode, but it goes something like this. The primary function of sexual orientation is not to tell you whose body you'll enjoy. It's to guide you toward the life-changing love you most deeply crave. Because um, um, I tell people all the time, you get aroused by the craziest things. Sure. You know, men do the stupidest things. With I, One guy said, yeah, once I, I was on the beach and I got a boner, so I rolled over, dug a hole in the sand, and he fucked the beach. Uh-huh. I said, so you're a beach fucker. How perverted is that? Uh-huh. You know, and so, so defining, right, defining, he wasn't fucking the beach. He was just enjoying living in his body, right? And, and he had no emotional connection to the beach. Mm-hmm. Right. So, right, he's not a beach fucker. But that idea of follow, what, where are your emotions taking you? Who are you connecting with? Mm-hmm. That's, that's how you determine really your, your sexual path is based on your emotional compass, not, not what gets your dick hard. Mm-hmm. I tell people in our culture, we, we equate arousal and erections is the same thing, and they're not. And men think about it, they realize they get erections all the time and they're not aroused. And they can be desperately aroused and desperately want to get an erection and it's not there. doesn't mean they're not aroused. It's just, they're, they're two separate things in our culture. We use them as euphemisms, you know. Can you give us some examples of arousal? Oh, of arousal? Yeah. Oh, totally into somebody, especially, I mean, the, the, when it comes to erectile dysfunction, the, everyone has known the thing, you're totally into somebody this is amazing. I'm so excited to be with this person. I love kissing them. I love playing I'm all over the body. And my God, I can't get hard. I am so aroused. I'm eating this person up and the boner is not there. That's arousal without an erection. Mm-hmm. And you wake up in the morning with morning wood. That's an erection without arousal. Mm-hmm. Right. right? And we all remember being in middle school and high school where you just got erections for no reason. Mm-hmm. Right, the wind blew. You got an erection. That's an erection for no arousal. Sure, sure, absolutely. And so that idea of we can be passionate into somebody. This is oh my god, this is amazing. Mm-hmm. And the erection's not there. Right. Yes. So follow your emotions, not your boner. I love Paul's language. He is so super funny. His destigmatized approach to this is just so refreshing. I will say. That if we want to reach for and access and invest in deep, long-lasting love, we should follow our emotional desires first that lead us into this deep relationship where we're safe so we can watch the blossoming of our sexual intimacy. The one caveat here, though, is that sex can also just be playful. It doesn't have to lead to this deep romantic sense of love. But only seeking eroticism as a means of finding love might actually kind of help you lose track of the love that you might be most craving. Do you have any tips for your clients and like how to see it that way? Well, I, yeah, stop performing, start playing. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. I tell people, uh, we use our bodies to connect, to, to communicate the energy into their soul. I'm making love to your soul. Not to your dick, not to your body. Okay? And if we're laughing and playing, then, then all the adrenaline shuts off because I'm not performing and nervous. So we can stop performing. And if we think about who are we performing for, we're performing for the voices in the back of our heads. Those teenage boys, they imprinted 
the, the sexual information about how we're supposed to have sex. Mm-hmm. We're, we're performing for ghosts that don't care. And so I really, I really, really like this piece of the dialogue, especially when we sit with clients, because there's a big way that we use, and I'm, maybe I'm just, I guess it happens in the straight culture too, or a straight community, but in the, in the gay community, there's this very particular way of um, using our bodies as a parade, in a sense. We parade around our body yeah. so that if it's good enough and spectacular enough, and it can win another trophy of a man. Yes, yes. Sex becomes the way that we feel like we're more valuable in relationships, we're more valuable in society. Yeah. yeah. And then I'm we looking enter, for validation through sex. Exactly. And then we enter sex as though we have to finish the deal in a sense, and we use it as yep. a performance to mm-hmm. further validate our worth. And we're going to kind of throw the autonomic nervous system for a little loop. It's going to have to do all of this emotional right. gymnastics to reach orgasm. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. 100%. So that, that's, that's the secret, too. If you can't get a boner, well, stop whatever you're doing. Stop. Your body's telling you this isn't working. Right. Hey there. I hope you're enjoying the show so far. I wanted to take another moment to introduce myself with a little bit more detail. My name is Clay, and I'm the newest clinical associate here at IM Clinic. I could not be more excited to take part in queer relationships here. Relationships and their dynamics are a particular interest of mine in both my academic and professional work. I have experience working with a very diverse group of clients, and there's not much you could share with me that would surprise me. I firmly believe that everyone is exceptionally unique. My greatest passion is empowering people to find their own path towards healing and self-love, because nothing is more satisfying to me than helping my clients find healthy perceptions of themselves and their relationships. My ultimate objective is to allow my clients to know and accept themselves as competent, complete, and safe. To find out more about me, I am Clinic, or the entire spectacular I am Clinic team, visit us at IamClinic.org. That's IAMClinic.org. Thanks again for listening. Let's get back to the show. So I'll lay I'll lay the context out here just in case someone's listening and they have no context, which is why we're doing this. But my favorite way of talking about this is through the autonomic nervous system. So we have fight, flight, or freeze, or fawn. I got that from you, Paul. <laughs> I've used that too, by the way. Um, so we call it arousal. So the body's going to go into arousal. That could be aggression, anxiety, but it's also the orgasm. And so we also have in the autonomic nervous system, cool, calm, and collected. The route to orgasm generally speaking, is the body needs to go down into cool, calm, and collected, which is emotional safety, emotional intimacy, physical safety, but also sensuality. The body needs to dip down so that it can climb then up into orgasm, 
And then once it does, then pool common collected kicks in and it takes us back down. But if, as you're saying here, Paul, if we're already walking into sex as though it's a performance or an exam we have to pass, the body is going to experience arousal first in terms of anxiety or fear or that adrenaline rush. And the body will bypass the downward curve into sensuality that it needs to take to reach orgasm. And so the body will just continue to climb up into anxiety, totally bypassing boner or totally bypassing orgasm. And then they come to people like you or people like us saying, I can't have sex. I can't hold an erection. And really it's the anxiety and the, the, the route they're taking because of anxiety, not their physical body. That's hundred percent. Yeah, so that's you. You just, you've just essentially. Thank you. You just gave a roadmap of what I try to tell people to do. But you, you have to go down into sensuality, relaxation, play, safety, connection. Mm -hmm. um, that you have. Yes, you have to follow that route down before you can hook into. You're right. The roller coaster. If I when you said it, I thought it's just like a roller coaster. You start slow and sure. relax, <laughs> and then you gradually get up, and then you have the the, the big orgasm down. Uh, you need a few loops in the middle, of course, for a good roller coaster. <laughs> sure, get upside down and flip around, and <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> um, this is. I get so passionate here because I want people to know. And when I found this out, I was kind of shocked. So I'm a trauma therapist, and I work with the autonomic nervous system all day long, every day. And so we're constantly retraining fight, fight, or freeze, and fawn, or cool, calm, and collected to function the way that it should, because trauma will turn it on, will we'll get turned on to fight, fight, or freeze, and then the body won't leave. That's mm -hmm. going to make incredible sex incredibly challenging. But the key word when we're talking about trauma and sex is safety. It's unfortunate that the same apparatus in the body that houses trauma and turns the trauma triggers on is the same apparatus that houses sensuality and the orgasm. I think that is, it's unfortunate, but also something that we, now that we know that we can really help treat things that feel like a medical disorder and we can treat them psychologically. But getting back to my point, that key word is safety. Am I safe enough to have fun? Am I safe enough to be known, to be loved? However you're entering sex in that moment, the body needs to know, am I safe enough? As opposed to, can I perform well enough? <laughs> right. So, right, the idea, and the, the shortcut is... It, we're not doing this for validation anymore. We're doing it for connection. Yes. Right. Get off the stage. You're not, I tell people, many men, I said, we all know the little kid who does a cartwheel. Look, at, look, I can do a cartwheel. They do it. And you go, yay. And then two seconds later, look, I'm going to do a cartwheel again. And you're doing, and if this kid did it 45 times in a row, you'd go, this kid is, needs some attention help. Something's going on here, right? And yet when it comes to sex, men are doing the very same thing. Look at my dick, look what I can do, yay! Applaud, applaud! <laughs> and so most men are trying to have sex like, do you like me, do you like me, do you like me, do you like me? Please like me, do you like me? And like, look at my dick can do, look at, isn't this cool? And 
and, and, and just like the little kid, everyone, your, your partner gets tired of going, yay, Johnny, yay, you did the cartwheel, yay, you got a boner, yay, Johnny, go. And they're, they're, you know, even if it's an adorable little four-year-old doing a cartwheel, you're, after, after an hour of cartwheels, you're like, I'm done. <laughs> and the partner can only put up so much cheering over a fucking boner. You know, it's like, yeah, really. Just like that cartwheel doesn't draw me to you. doesn't make me feel connected to you. That cartwheel is just you performing. Right. And the boner is just you performing. Mm-hmm. It has nothing to do with me. And if I'm the partner, I want you to everything to do with me. Right. You know, I think I, I definitely resonate with what you're saying here. And in the hookup culture, when the partner gets bored, it's cartwheel number 5,000. There's plenty of other people to say, hey, you're right. I can't will. You know, then we go back to the gym and we say, okay, I need, a, I need more abs or bigger muscles. I need a bigger cartwheel. Yes. Right, the more spectacular ones so that I can keep people entertained so that I can feel valid. I can feel good. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And again, we're objectifying our own sex. We're making yeah. an object that helps us yeah. feel value. Yeah. And if, if the sex is bad, it's because I'm not good enough. Something about me is not good enough. And then I'm disposable. Then people won't want to love me. Then they will get right. me. And, then, and that only triggers that anxiety even more about, look at what I can do. Look, at, look, at, look, look, please like me. Somebody please like me. Right. And I tell people, I said, guys, all the time, I said, that's not a very sexy energy. Please like me, please like me is not very attractive. <laughs> <laughs> and I tell people, I, when we're done with sex, your partner should, should feel good. Not about you. They, your partner should feel good about themselves. Mm-hmm. Right? It's they should feel, you know, the person you're having sex with should feel like, wow, this person made me feel like I'm loved, I'm beautiful, I'm cared for, I'm worth loving, I'm valuable, I'm all these things. And that's what we want out of sex. We want to feel validated, approved, desired, wanted, understood, known, seen, heard. I mean, all those things. That's why we have sex. Mm-hmm. Right. That's that safety piece that I love to talk about because there's oftentimes couples and it happens a lot with gay men because of the boner but they'll come in completely resenting each other they don't they're not talking about that though they're talking about they need someone who will help them have sex again it's you know the bottom is wondering what's happening they're feeling inadequate or the top is feeling like a failure and they're completely embarrassed and then you sit with them for a little while and you realize that the resentment is sending both of their bodies into fight flight or freeze not cool calm and collected first and so they come they're fighting all day long and then they come together for sex and their body still knows the other person as the one that they're fighting against And they come together for sex and their autonomic nervous system is totally taking the route to anger, not that downward roller coaster we're describing. Right. And so I think it's really fascinating that resentment can oftentimes look like a medical disorder. That's fascinating. That's fascinating. You're right. And, and yeah, we, we talk about the fact when there's anger between unresolved anger issues, that, and anger is just another word for resentment, isn't it? Unresolved anger is just resentment. Totally. I'm still mad at you about this. Mm-hmm. That's just resentment. Yeah. yeah. You're on the right roller coaster. <laughs> <laughs> you're on the, yes. You're not on the right roller coaster. And, and yes, and, and I, you know, I, I, I hear men all the time, if they feel criticized, if they feel um, constantly, especially, you know, I, I hate the word henpecked, 
this always nagging somebody, whoever is nagging, could be a boss, could be a partner, could be whatever. If they're nagging, they're, they're not, they're not going to be able to perform sexually. Mm-hmm. They're, they're not safe. It's not safe. I'm being judged. Everything I do is being judged. Did I do all, all did I do my chores today? And I hate that about, uh, about couples. Well, the best kind of foreplay is do the dishes. That's still fucking judging. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I will only love you if you've done all the things I told you to do. Mm-hmm. Right. That's the path to good sex. This is what sex therapists say across the country. Mm-hmm. The path to good sex is good foreplay is doing the dishes. Oh. Seriously. Mm-hmm. It's conditional love. <laughs> it's totally conditional. And these are sex books. These are top in the field in the country. Turn on the TV and you hear that phrase. The best foreplay starts with doing the dishes. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what guy is going to get a boner for doing the dishes? Oh, she likes me now. I did the dishes. Once again, it's performance based. Right. You are not worth loving unless you do what I tell you to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow, that's a great relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, as we're talking, I'm thinking, like, who feels safe? Who feels cool, calm, and collected around their bully? <laughs> right. You know, yeah. and then to think, like, you're, now you have to go into the bedroom and sleep with your bully. Like, your body isn't busy. You're not right. safe. Right. We're asking, do you know me? Am I seen? Right. Exactly. Am I, Am I valued? Right. And what we don't talk about, which is the other flip side, is if, the, the partner never helps around the house, then you're the bully to the other person. Mm-hmm. Right, right? So if you refuse, if you're not doing, your, if you're making, not making your partner feel valued by helping, loving, connecting with all the yucky stuff around the house. So I just want to make sure we're not saying, don't do the, you know. Right, no, for sure. That, that, uh, but the, but if you're placing the demand of like, no, you didn't do the dishes when you said you would do the dishes, that's not, where we should be studying. Then the, the discussion needs to happen then. I'm feeling as if you're not caring for me because you're not helping around the house. That's that discussion, which is in every partnership, whether it's roommates, whether it's dorm mates, um, you know, the argument over the toilet seat is all about somebody feeling not cared for. Right. You're living with a selfish person. <clears throat> I go one step further. I want the toilet lid down. I don't want to see the gaping hole. Thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Forget the freaking seat. Yeah. <laughs> Things fall in toilets, okay? Leave the lid down. For sure, especially my vitamins. <laughs> exactly. Or my glasses. Even worse. If it's something I just flush it, forget it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I often, um, it's one of my favorite lines to use, but it's vulnerability is sexy. To watch couples go through what I call an attachment fracture. They're fighting, they're arguing, arguing. One feels unseen, one feels controlled, one feels abandoned, the other one feels smothered, whatever it might be. But then as you watch them come to this place where they say things like, oh my God, babe, I've never heard you say it that way. I totally get how you're feeling now. I am so completely sorry, come here. That kind of safety Mm -hmm. for the body and the autonomic nervous system is so freaking sexy. And I think that's why makeup sex is a thing, because we're finally hitting that safety that the body needs to know about so that it can experience the arousal that it should. Mm-hmm. And that's I think, right. Go ahead. 
I mean, I was going to say, I think that's so perfect because it's not only providing a connection with your partner, but it's providing a connection with yourself. Because like what we were talking about before is like, if you're sleeping with your bully, chances are you're probably trying to completely silo that experience and like either put up some like denial (laughs) to kind of justify everything or you're just kind of disassociating. and like that in itself, it's not just bad for the relationship, but also for like your personal well-being. So yeah. I love that, Clay, because it almost makes me think that some people, instead of doing the vulnerable work of repairing the relationship, it's almost like they're using sex mm-hmm. to repair that fracture. You know, if I can, uh-huh. if we can have good sex, then we, then I know I'm still safe with you. Oh, you hear that all the time, don't we? It's like sex is what is, and yes, sex is the glue that holds things together, but it's not the sex that's holding together. It's the connection, vulnerability, and everything else. Great sex is a symptom of good connection. Mm. As opposed to, you know, and the, the other thing that when you were, when you, uh, you mentioned something that's triggered, um, and I put it on the back shelf so I could listen, but Oh, the idea that sex is an activity, that sex is something that happens at a set time. And I tell people, well, we want a constant exchange of erotic energy with our partner. Every time you walk by them, I tell people, most men have been raised to touch another person in a way that is for them, for themselves. Like I swat someone on the butt. Most likely that was for me. I got my jollies from swatting you on the butt. So in other words, I just took sexual energy that wasn't offered to me. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? And I tell people all the time, I said, we need to find out how our partner wants to be touched, maybe four or five different ways, and then all day long, touch them in a way that is filling up their sex energy account. Mm-hmm. So if your partner loves to be kissed on the back of the neck, their earlobe nibbled, their arms are on the waist, whatever, when you're walking behind them, you just give them a whatever, and you just made a deposit, that touch was not for you, it was for your partner. So they feel safe, back to what we're talking about, they feel safe, they feel accepted, wonderful, vulnerable, connected. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I, when I'm with women and men talking, I was saying, women, basically, I, most guys, if you just said, every time you walk by your guy, grab his junk. And the guys like, their face lights up, they're like, oh my God, that'd be so great. <laughs> men do that to people all the time because that's how they want to be touched. Mm-hmm. Right? And and so for some men, being grabbed by their junk could remind them of trauma. That could be, be triggering. So even though I, that's how I want to be touched, and I, I can't tell you, please grab my junk every time you walk by, we start doing it to other people because it's what we're looking for. Um, and so anyway, it, that idea of, of that sex should be your actual heightened arousal, what we call having sex, is simply... A, a rise in the erotic energy that we've been exchanging all day long. That from the, the caress as we walk by turns into, oh, more than a caress, the sex energy blooms because the, both bank accounts are full. Mm-hmm. And we need to spend some of that sexual energy on each other. That's a beautiful way to put it. Yeah. I love that. And then like, and especially with thinking of it in those terms, it's like, you really want to, you want to be more mindful of like, not taking. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And we and, and men, we've been taught to take sexual touch. Yeah. Yeah. 
to touch is about what I want. I want to touch this person like that. And, and, and then it, again, it's just sort of, what am I, why am I wanting that? What am I looking for by taking that touch? And a lot of times it is a bit of a, bit of a goose in your, in, in your erotic energy or something, but let's find a more sustaining way to goose that erotic energy, a more helpful, open communication way. Wow. That was a trip, right? I hope you all enjoyed that extremely enlightening and um, entertaining episode. It's funny how something so common in our lives can also be so misunderstood and used in ways that may feel right, but actually it's harming us. Am I the only one that thought sex should be more intuitive than I realized? I definitely got educated more than I ever thought possible. Hopefully this episode has helped all of us see that sex can be a part of something more than just as a physical act, but also used as a tool to experience and expand our self-understanding. In turn, we can leverage a healthy concept of sex to better connect with our partners. Please tune in for the next episode, where we talk more with Paul in a little bit more detail about the psychological, physiological, and medical aspects of sexual dysfunction. Sounds fun, right? (laughs) But hopefully you saw in this episode that Paul can make anything fun. So don't be intimidated or shy. There's a lot more food for thought and educational opportunities coming your way. Thanks again for tuning in. Until next time. Queer Relationships is a podcast sponsored by I Am Clinic, a counseling practice devoted to the LGBTQ community with in-person and virtual counseling options available. I Am Clinic. Create the love lives and relationships you crave. Find us online on Instagram at LGBTQ underscore therapy and Facebook at I Am Clinic. That's I-A-M Clinic.